Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the Cisco and Falso Hour of Broadcasting Politics, sponsored by Students for a Better Future. Thank you, Doreen, and God bless you. So, get ready for the nation's lockdown. It's coming. From what I'm hearing, it's coming, especially in blue states. It, it's going to get nasty. It's going to get nasty. So everyone get ready. Um, prepare yourself. Uh, I just found out that some of the, if you're looking to get yourself uh, oil changes in your car or anything to do with cars, any appliances, China just went on lockdown. A lot of the countries in Asia are going on a lockdown because there's another outbreak of the infamous uh, COVID. So yes, it's the uh, XYZ variant now that that has come out. Have you yeah, heard the new variant, the XYZ variant? Of course, <laughs> of course, we have heard it. But that's not that's a distraction. You need to prepare yourself. Okay, anyone out there listening, things are going to get a little challenging, quite challenging. I, I don't want to be the, the, the person of giving you bad news, but, but just prepare yourself because it's um, at the highest level of this administration. They're talking about a nationwide lockdown. And what, what does that mean to everyone? Well, especially in blue states like Hawaii, Hawaii is already a medical tyranny, medical tyranny. Basically, you can't go anywhere. New York City is heading in that direction. Kids that are not, have not taken the jab in New York City schools will not be allowed to go to the theater, will not be allowed to go to restaurants, will not be allowed to go. So you know what? A kid living in New York that's under 12 or 12 and above and has not taken the jab, he, doesn't, he cannot go anywhere. So people, you need to wake up and realize this is not about the shot anymore. This is about a lot more. Just think about it. We're not heading in the direction of freedom. We're going away from freedom. The freedom that we have enjoyed, if we don't stand up, it'll be gone. You know? What, what did Ronald Reagan say? We're one, one decade away from losing our freedom and everything. So, but anyway, Mark, go ahead and, and, and the rant of the week. Okay. First of all, I want to address... The CDC moratorium. Who the hell is the CDC to issue a rent moratorium and a moratorium <laughs> on evictions? What the <laughs> hell is that? Now, I understand the Supreme Court has already slapped this down, but they want to go ahead with it anyway. So if I was a landlord, I would immediately go to court because the precedent is the Supreme Court says go to hell. Now... That's my uh, Segway rant. 
my main rant well, is the segment we have on Students for a Better Future, where we're addressing the psychological health, excuse me, the psychological health of the Facebook help that does the censoring, trolling, shadow banning, uh, because we've looked into this in great hail with the greatest psychiatric minds. So we've come to the conclusion, yes, they act this way because they grew up, their mothers were sluts. Some of them, yes, were even known to have relations with farm animals, you Facebook people. Uh, some of okay. you at Facebook may be shocked and say, well, wait a second, I had a mother and a father, but your mother was giving away a slice okay. of the pie to the delivery boy, the collie next door, oh, oh, uh, the handyman, okay. etc. Okay, that's okay. our psychological I, segment on the Facebook staff. Yeah, I just got to bring our guests in now. So that was a good rant. Uh, okay, let me uh, let me go ahead and drop that one and call him on the other line. So I'll tell you, it's definitely it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. All right. All right, that's good. So how are you? Very good, thank you. All right. Uh, welcome to the Cisco and Fossil Hour broadcast in politics. We are excited to have you tonight on the program. Oh, very good. <laughs> so I was about I was about to introduce you. Um, you're a geologist and executive director of the CO2 Coalition in Arlington, Virginia, great mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. The best-selling author of Inconvenient Facts, not the Al Gore, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Fantastic. A, a bit more about about your um, bio, which is very impressive. Oh well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And so you are Cisco? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes, and I am so, Falzon. <laughs> yes. Excuse me? That's my co-host, uh, Mr. Fasson. He's my uh, co-host. Okay, so it's Cisco and... Falzon. 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 Falzon, yeah. Mm-hmm. So as... as um, I've been doing a lot of research uh, prepping for this very challenging uh, interview, the whole aspect of the Ice Age fascinated me. And in the 1970s, in the New York Times, no, I think it was a Time Magazine, came out that we were on the verge of the Ice Age. And by the time... 1990, we would be already in the Ice Age. What happened? Yeah, there, well, when I was uh, uh, in college in the late 70s, uh, we'd gone through oh, a period of uh, about 30, 35 years of cooling. 
it started, and what's interesting is we're being told that CO2 is driving cooling, <laughs> driving uh, warming in the atmosphere. And uh, what we saw was that the significant increase in carbon dioxide emissions really began in the post-World War II economic boom. And it was in that period in the mid-20th century that we started ramping up CO2 emissions. So it should have been in that period uh, of the mid-20th century and later to now that if there was going to be any uh, carbon dioxide-driven warming, that's, we, should, we should be able to see that. Uh, but what's interesting is just as we started ramping up CO2, uh, again, post-World War II, we went through 30 years of a cooling, uh, completely contrary to what global warming theory tells us should happen, mm-hmm. uh, completely opposite. And, and that's a strong indication that what, what you're being told is incorrect. Uh, and then that ended in uh, the late 1970s. Again, I graduated, uh, my, I got my bachelor's degree in 77 and my master's degree in 79, and that was about the time when we were just horrifically. You're, uh, I think you're a little bit too young to remember those years. But, uh, I remember in college at that year that uh, our, our, I was in a fraternity, and we went away for Christmas break. And we came back. I mean, it was just absolutely devastatingly cold, horrifically cold, uh, just terrible wind. Um, we came back to our, our frat house. The, the pipes had broken and gone down. There was a, uh, the water had, had actually, in our kitchen, there was a complete column of ice. Uh, that it, and I'll never forget it. Just It was just horrible winter that we had, 1978, 79. And that was really the depths of the, the coldest part of that 30-year period. And after then, thankfully, we started warming up. And then we went through... Uh, again, another period of about 20 years of warming that uh, culminated about the year 1990. What well, wasn't about it was the year 1998 uh, with this uh, warming, um, and we've actually been pretty flat temperatures since 1998. Uh, there's been virtually no warming. It's called the pause. It's right. the pause and warming that we've seen, uh, and what we've seen here is that. Uh, particularly Dr. Willie Soon has been uh, most recently the biggest proponent of this advancing this theory of uh, tying uh, sunspots and solar cycles to mm-hmm. warming and cooling. And he's, he's very convinced that we're about to go into this next cooling cycle that will lead us uh, not necessarily into the next ice age, but another cooling event. And I think what we need to do is take a look. To put this into perspective, you have to look over the last uh, – I, I look back to the end of the last ice age, 10,000 years of history, to find that there were nine other warming events similar to what we're in right now. And, again, we are in a warming period. It started more than 300 years ago in the late 17th century. So the first 250 years of that with this warming event, had to have been entirely naturally driven. Remember I told you that uh, CO2 really started mm-hmm. ramping up in the middle of the 20th century. So before that, it had to have been naturally driven, the warming. It right. had been warming in fits and starts. Uh, but we're being told 
oh, well, that's all changed in the middle of the 20th century. Now it's all being driven by CO2. No, it's right. not. No, it's not. <laughs> that's not how science or, or climate change works. That's not what the science tells us. That's what they want you to believe. And they, and they, they pound it day after day, month after month, and event after catastrophic or unusual event, they, they tell us that. Uh, but that's... It, it doesn't work that way. We know that those other nine warming periods were all warmer. We're also being told, aren't we, that the warmth and temperature we see today is unusual and unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this in the order of thousands of years. Uh, right. Categorically false. It's just, it is. It, it's just we've these other nine warming trends, all of them were significantly warmer than we are today. And... And if I look back, we're also being told, oh, my God, we can't let it get another degree and a half or two degrees warmer, or what's going to happen? Catastrophic events are going to occur. We're going to have famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. But if we look back through human history over the last 5,000 years, back to the beginning of the first civilizations, great empires and civilizations arose up, each of these warming periods that we saw were warmer than today and all corresponded to the rise of empires and civilizations. And, and we saw that uh, these periods were blessed with uh, abundance of food. Food was bountiful. And people didn't have to grub for their meals or worry about how they were going to feed their families tomorrow or next week or next year. And so during these other warm periods, People had time to dream, to sculpt, to invent, to dream, and just, you know, they, that's what they did. And it was those great warming periods that led to the great civilizations. And it was the cold periods, the intervening cold periods that were just horrific. They led to crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. And, and that's, we're, so that's the backdrop that we have. We have. Let me, let, let, let's just talk a little bit more about the historical, uh, relating uh, human history and climate history uh, right. before we get to, to what might happen in the future. And that's uh, the first of these great warm periods, the beginning of the civilization, uh, coincided with what was called the Bronze Age. It was the Minoan Warm Period. Uh, the first great civilizations rose up at that time, the Minoan the Hittites, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, right. the great first great Chinese civilizations. All of these occurred during this period. It was called the Minoan Warm Period. It was, we know it was warmer, a lot warmer than today because, and again, we, we, can, we can document this with, with things like carbon isotope data, but I think your listeners, people tend to grasp historical connotations and and during this time, for example, the, the, in Scandinavia, they were growing a crop called millet. Well, mm. millet can only be grown in subtropical or tropical uh, areas. And Scandinavia, as you are well aware, is certainly not subtropical or tropical no. today. But they were growing it then. It had to have been a lot warmer. And, and again, great civilization. And then it started cooling down. It, was, uh, it led... Perhaps in a period of less than 100 years, it led to the collapse of all of these civilizations. It was called the 
the late Bronze Age collapse, and all of these great civilizations around the world collapsed, and it was because of the of crop failure and and bad events that occurred because of the cooling, not because of the warming, because of the cooling. Right. And we see that time and time again. The Roman warm period was a time of great, the time of Christ, it was uh, a time of great bounty. And again, empires grows up, rose up around the world during this really warm period. There was a reason the Romans wore togas, okay? It was really warm. <laughs> and, and, right, and the Romans were growing citrus in the north of England near Hadrian's Wall. Well, you can't do that today. Um, right. So we can look at things like that. And again, civilizations flourished and food was bountiful. Uh, during the Roman Warm period, the north, northern Africa was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. Today it's oh, the, the Mediterranean area is, is still viable, but nothing like it was during that time. Uh, and again, it got cold and Roman Empire collapsed, and so did many other civilizations. We see that repeated time and time again. So now we get we, we've laid the groundwork of what happened in the past to in the correlation between human history and climate, and and here we are. We're in 2021. We've been warming for 300 years. Thank God, um, it's beneficial, and we see the beneficial effects of it from. Uh, not just the warmth, but CO2. We see that uh, the warmth is and CO2 are leading to increases in crop growth. Uh, the warmth is leading to increasing lengthening of growing seasons. So the uh, the crops you can have more plantings. Killing frosts stop earlier in the spring and arrive later in the fall, so we have more crop growth, and then that's turbocharged with CO2 fertilization with increased CO2, just turbocharging uh, crop growth. Uh, and we see the crops are of, of almost every category breaking records year after year after year. Um, but, but the big bot is what's going to happen at some point in the future, it's going to start cooling again. Because, again, as a geologist, I look and I, I see the past as a, predictor of the future and, right. and it's going to start cooling at some point I'm not going to tell you when it is Willie soon seems to think he knows exactly when um, he's correct that it'll be bad when it does arrive uh, I think his timing might not be necessarily right he might be right but he might be wrong um, at some point, it is going to start cooling. He thinks it will be by 2030 or earlier. Um, I, I, Looking at the other warming trends, if ours is similar, maybe it will be in 50 years or 150 years. But whenever that next cooling event occurs, it will be bad. The, so, other, the other cooling trends were horrific. Yeah. Our, our next cooling trend will probably be bad in terms of crop growth, but we're not moving food around with ox carts today. So we, you know, we're, our technology should be able to assist us a little bit, but we'll be challenged if, and it might be even more than challenged. It could be pretty bad for everybody. Well, talking, I've been ranting here for, for 10 minutes. No, 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 no. I, I, I'll tell you, it's, this is what, this interview is 
has been very challenging because this is fascinating, but at the same time, it's a lot of material, I mean, covering sunspots, solar outputs, things that most people don't really know about it and don't really have any idea what that is. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I've learned a lot, and, but, I'm, no, you can go on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning even more. But can we have another Carrington event, which was a geomatic uh, storm in 1859 that occurred during a solar cycle? How possible is that? Well, it's not only possible, it's likely. They don't occur very often, but it's going to occur again. Uh, okay. And uh, we're going to have, you know, we're also going to have a geomagnetic reversal where actually the, the poles switch. No one know what, knows what's going to occur at that point. I don't. Uh, it probably, we're not due for that for some time. By some time, I mean thousands of years, uh, but it might occur sooner. Um, but yeah, these these solar solar cycles are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it appears that I, I'm not completely sold that. Uh, and again, I look at over the last ten thousand years of these uh, of these temperature fluctuations that we've seen, and the last one surely looks the last cooling period was called the uh, the Little Ice Age, and mm-hmm. it, it certainly appears that. The, the coldest part of that was associated with the minimum, uh, what's called the Maunder minimum of the of solar cycles. And uh, uh, Dr. Willie Soon, again, is, is saying we're going to get another one of those coming up. Um, and in that in that little ice age, again, that was the most recent cooling period we saw. It was, it was pretty horrific. Uh, a third of the population of the Earth perished during that time. Half the population of Iceland perished. In fact, uh, Denmark controlled Iceland at that time, and they uh, they wanted to completely abandon Iceland because of the death and despair there. Uh, it wasn't done because the people fought back. They said, no. Uh, we know that Greenland, the Vikings there, disappeared. We nothing. We really don't know. The, the last reports were, uh, I'm not going to tell you what the year was. I forget what it was, but they, then we heard just nothing from, Iceland, uh, from Greenland. Uh, right. And but but we, again we know that Greenland uh, during the last warming period of the medieval warm period was uh, was much warmer than it is today and we know that from crop records that they were growing barley on Greenland and you can't grow barley there because the 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 seasons the growing season is not long enough and there's not enough warmth to do that uh, but yet we have records of barley being grown there because the Vikings apparently really liked their beer and. Uh, uh, kudos to them for loving their beer. Uh, I'm, I'm not much of a beer drinker, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but they did apparently. Uh, they like their mead, and uh, so we had. But again, they disappeared. We we saw during the medieval warm period. Uh, it was called the High Middle Ages. Great civilizations rose up. Just think of the high. It was called the High Middle Ages. Times of uh, cathedral building, uh, the Magna Carta, and when you think of the midi- of the Middle Ages and the great things there, that's when you think of the High Middle Ages, the peak of the medieval warm period, uh, and then it started cooling and things went to got went to crap. They just did, uh, and it wasn't 
it was the cooling again. It's just opposite of what we're being told. We're being told, "Oh my God, we can't let it get a degree and a half or two degrees warmer." But yet, if we look back to human history, every time when it did get a degree and a half or two degrees or more warmer, ecosystems flourished, food was bountiful, and it's completely opposite of what we're being told. You're being sold a, a, a story that's just based on falsehoods and misinformation, and we need to fight against this. Uh, and again, when, once the medieval warm the medieval warm period ended, and the cold set in of the, of the little ice age, what what actually happened it was rain that started and wouldn't stop. Um, they had just rain and rain and rain and more rain during this cooling period. Uh, they had periods that, so they couldn't get the crops in uh, in the spring, or if they did. Uh, it, it rained and they couldn't let the, the crops ripen, and they rotted in the fields. Uh, and it was, you know, these this was a, a hand-to-mouth existence at that time where uh, you could survive maybe one bad harvest, but not two, and definitely not three. Definitely. And that's where we saw where that's where we saw the really bad consequences of of these failed harvests year after year after year associated with this this cooling event. Uh, I have a caller, uh, 654. Do you have a question for Mr. Wrightstone? 254, 654. Do you have a question for Mr. Oh, not Gregory yet. Wright? Not yet. Uh, okay. Uh, Gregory, you're fascinating. <laughs> uh, 732539, do you have a question for Mr. Wrightstone? Okay. They're I want They don't want to ask me a question. <laughs> it's, it's a okay. well, yeah. It's a very, very interesting uh, subject. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about the Gleisberg cycle, which is another solar activity that spanned, uh, I think, roughly eighty to ninety years. Something that I was not aware. And how neither am I? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So I know a lot about stuff, but I don't know about that. So I don't want to talk about what I don't know. <laughs> okay. I could so make it gonna, up, but I, you know, uh, that's not good. Well, I, I had to prep. Career. I had to prep, and things that I've never heard about, I had to uh, learn. So that, that, that solar activity was very, very, very challenging. Uh, uh, it impacted the whole world uh, for 80 to 90 years. But what, what we have is... The things that are driving the big cycles are, mm-hmm. they're called Milankovitch cycles. Okay, yeah. And, and they're, it has to do with uh, the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit, the wobble of the Earth, and things like that. And they're driven on, these are 41,000 and 100,000-year cycles that drive the really big events, the ice ages, that are driven. The big ice age events are, are driven on 100,000-year cycles by this one of the Milankovitch cycles. Uh, but with us, I, th- they occur, obviously, 100,000 years. Uh, none of us are going to see that. But what we will see are these, are these other cycles that we're in the middle of, of uh, the last 10,000 years. So we're in what's called an interglacial warming period. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, we, so what we have are... Um, 80 or 90,000 years of, of 
of the ice advances. And then we have another 10 or 11 or 12,000 years of warming, which was what we're in right now, thankfully. If we were uh, during these ice age of, uh, ice advances, of course, uh, Boston and New York and, and most of Canada were under two or 3,000 feet of ice. And uh, that was, once that, just think about this. It, it, it's going to occur again. There's nothing we can do about the next ice age. Um, and again, Canada will be under thousands of feet of ice. It will, because it happened time and time again over the last 800,000 years periodically. It's going to occur again. And perhaps Donald Trump, when that occurs, was building the wall on the wrong border because when this occurs, we're going to have every single Canadian migrating to the United States. But I'm okay with that because I love the Canadians, as long as they leave their socialism at home. But they're going to... Think about this, and what this happened. What's interesting about these these great ice age advances? Again, thousands of feet of ice. The weight of that ice actually pushes the the entire continental mass, the the uh, the, the, the the mass of the continent down in the middle of the of the of the continent. I don't know if you're aware of that. It, yeah, it actually pushes it down, and. It, it actually, when you do that, it raises the, the bound. Just think about a, a waterbed, okay? And let's just say Oprah Winfrey jumps in the middle of the waterbed, okay? So Oprah's gonna, it's gonna depress the middle, and when she, she gets in the middle, it's going to raise the edges, right? Which okay. Exactly what happens with this, with these ice advances? So, so imagine that. Instead of Oprah, it's this great thousands of feet of ice in the middle of the continent that's depressing the middle, and it raises the edges of the continents up. So the ice is now retreated and melted, and, the, and it's a slow rebound coming up. So what we have is, uh, and this has to deal with uh, sea level rise. It's called relative sea level rise. Right. So now, for the most part, the, the middle of the continent's rising slowly at a millimeter or two millimeters per year, while the the boundaries of the continent of North America are subsiding a millimeter. So we, when you combine, so that's why we, whenever we talk about uh, sea level rise, it's not just sea level. But it's a combination of sea level rise and the subsidence uh, along the, the boundary. So we've had sea level rise. It's been about seven or eight inches since 1900, which is not very alarming to me. I don't know if it is to you. Um, uh, we've handled it pretty well. Uh, but we also see that that's compounded by uh, a, a subsidence along the coast. So the relative sea level rise, instead of seven or eight inches, might be ten or twelve inches of actual uh, what you actually see on the ground. And that's again, we they, they talked about the condo collapse in Miami that, that Jennifer Granholm uh, attributed to climate change. 
Dick Graham's going to every completely anything they're using as a fear mongering to, to scare people into buying into their agenda. Well, so we see these like in Miami. Yeah. Yes, Miami is subsiding at a relative rate of about 12 uh, millimeters per year, and, and that's about two of those are due to uh, combination. They built Miami for the most part. Most of it was built on uh, mangrove swamps that are subsiding. Oh, yeah, a lot of wetland, wetland, too. Right, and and these things tend to dewater over time slowly. So. Oh, yeah. So as they're dewatering, they're slowly, and, and that's what we see again with New Orleans. Similar thing with the deltas are dewatering. It's just a natural geologic process. Um, so, so Gregory, you 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 went into politics, so I have to go into politics, okay? <laughs> and I think my the the audience will will be more in tune with the politics then, because this is this is interesting but challenging. For me, it's been challenging, uh, but I, I got a better grasp of being able to talk about it. But the Paris Accord, they basically said we got to be in the Paris Accord. You know, the the opposition, the current administration, we have to spend, previous administration said we're getting out of the Paris Accord because the world is coming to an end. And if we don't contain these sea levels that are rising, we're going to have multiple multitudes of hurricanes and tornadoes. And then after Katrina, I said, maybe that's going to happen. Well, after Katrina, we haven't seen any hurricanes really devastating anywhere that I can recall. Well, so, again, like you said, fear-mongering. Is that correct? What is? And there, there may well be a devastating hurricane that occurs this year. There may be well in five years. But... You don't look at one particular event. You have to look at the, at the whole of the product uh, because, uh, and what we have seen, and we can look at, well, what we should do is look at, uh, it's hard to look at hurricanes in the long-term perspective because uh, by the long term I mean 150 or so years uh, because if we look at it, it's uh, many of these hurricanes that, that arose uh, back in the 1800s and early 1900s, never got recorded. Uh, they, they arose and dissipated and never hit landfall, and no one knew about them. In the satellite era, era since 1979, we've been able to catalog just about every hurricane that's uh, started. And, and so what NOAA does, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Association mm-hmm. Administration, uh, what they do is they, they recommend looking at landfalling hurricanes in the United States. Because they say, okay, every hurricane that made landfall, we're, we're going to know about it, right? You know, if it hit Galveston or the Keys or Charleston, you know, whatever it was, we're going to, we know that it hit. And so we can catalog everything back to 1850. And if you look at those landfalling hurricanes in the United States, we see there's been a general decline mm-hmm. of landfalling hurricanes in the United States. In some years, we have bad hurricane seasons, and sometimes we don't. Um, this has been forecast to be a bad hurricane season, but so far it doesn't look that way. You know, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, but we, we have to put, even if it is a bad hurricane, that doesn't mean it's due to climate change. 
because you have to put this in the context of the big picture. You can't just look at one year and say, oh, this proves this is it. Uh, you know, take a look at the big picture. And in my book, Inconvenient Facts... We're going to go there. Is, uh, I mean, I look at the uh, University of Mexico, looked at uh, data back uh, to 1750 and, and show a definite decline in hurricanes. Uh, right. And, and this is, it's, it's, and, I'll go, and again, we look at extreme weather, extreme weather-related deaths in the United States have declined, get this, 99% since the wow. 1900s. 99%. Now, now, granted, a lot of that has to do with uh, forecasting and, and warnings, you know, oh, my God, there's a tornado coming, get in your basement, you know, uh, or, you know, there's a hurricane coming, get the heck out of its way. Uh, that they didn't have in the early 1900s. But nonetheless, we're being told just the opposite. We're being told that the climate-related deaths are increasing, and that's just factually incorrect. It's called called misinformation. (laughs) Uh, Mark, do you have a question for Mr. Whitestone? No, I'm listening. I'm listening and learning. He's very interesting. Mark, where are you located? (laughs) Excuse me? Where are you located? I'm in New Jersey. Okay. I'm, I'm in the uh, flatlands of New Jersey. You know, I, I understand <laughs> the glaciers <laughs> stop in this area. I'm, I'm in the lowlands, you know, central Jersey. The glaciers didn't reach us. Okay. Yeah, but the rising sea level will definitely overwhelm you. So there's, oh, yeah. I live on the bay shore of New Jersey, and I've lost two homes to storms, you know, including Superstorm Sandy. Yeah. So, yes, I understand yep. about the sea levels. Two houses yeah. lost. One was a storm in 92 that didn't even have a name that was just as bad as Sandy along the Jersey Bay Shore. Well, so do you think that, then let me ask you, so do you think that rising sea levels contributed to Super Sandy, a devastation? I don't Bear in mind, think so. sea level has the, risen the storm seven was a, an aberrant, you know, I, I recall a week Agreed. before it hit, I remember watching Janice Dean on Fox News, the weather, and she was saying that, I mean, she called it Dead on. I mean, she basically had it all of a sudden making an abrupt left turn coming into Tom's River, and that's just about what happened. And she was the only one at that time saying this abrupt turn is going to happen. So uh, I think because it it was an aberrant storm, not so much related to the sea levels. And I'll tell you, as as a geologist, uh, you know, I, I wonder if, other scientists realize this, but the groundwater was the, is the first thing that hits the shore areas, not the water coming over the beaches. Uh, the groundwater hit with such velocity, it blew my sink out of the cabinet. Mm. So you could imagine the force of that water to do that. Now, where I'm going with this is anything that was in the ground was dead. Animal, mineral, vegetable, insect, they were all dead. I know two years after Sandy, I was leaving cookies out in my yard where normally, you know, they would be swarmed with ants. Nothing. Not a single ant. 
So I could imagine, oh. and also I would think the termite business was bad also because, you know, the termites <laughs> go in the ground. <laughs> yeah, well, there's yeah, well, there, there there have been storms throughout time. One of the worst storms that hit Long Island were were back in the 1800s, before anybody really lived there. So, we've had bad storms in the in the past. We'll have bad storms again. Uh, but what they do now is is link any extreme weather event mm-hmm. to climate. Yep. Change. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, sir. I, I call them I, I call them the climate change rocketeers. Because it's a damn shakedown. I'll give, you another, I'll give you another suggested term, the climate industrial complex. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. Uh, uh, Greg, do you want to give out your the name of the book and where we can get your book? And, and if you have a website? Yeah, so we've got – the book is Inconvenient Facts. Uh, you can go to – uh, look, learn more at inconvenientfacts.xyz. Okay. Uh, it was it was recently promoted uh, and endorsed by Candace Owens about a month ago on her. Fantastic. Podcast. Yeah, she held it up. I I got I was I had a four and a half hour drive and I was driving and my phone lit up with people texting me and and trying to call me saying Candace Owens just and so I, I got finally got looked at it and. And she was sitting there talking about climate change with my book in front of her. And she finally hold, held up my book, and she says, this is what I want you to do. This book has changed everything I believe about climate change. This is Candace frickin' Owens. And she said, every child in America needs to read this book. And That's right. I, I was like, I was shaking. I was going, oh, my God. And yeah. So it's, it's inconvenient facts. Uh, you can get it at, at uh, most people get it at Amazon. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm also the executive director of the CO2 Coalition in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and that's co2coalition.org. And if you want to help us out, yes. accept donations uh, of any size. I, I need to hire some more people. We've been very effective uh, in our outreach, and we want to be more effective. So co2coalition.org. Um, uh, so learn more there, and uh, I really do appreciate having you having me on tonight. This is definitely, great. definitely, definitely. Uh, Candace Owens is, is, is a, a very, very good. Yes. Do uh, you have a question for Mr. Whitestone? Hello. All right. Yes. Hello. Am I on the show here? Yes. Yes, you are. Uh, do you have a yeah, question for Mr. Yeah, you are on the air, ma'am. I'm sorry. I had a call in between. I got a little confused there. Uh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah. just about climate change, which everybody's talking about, you know, the climate change business. I just, yeah. I'm wondering nowadays, not a thousand years ago or a thousand years ahead. I mean, we're in our time, right? Right. Um, what exactly, I mean, as I see it, it's like, uh, like cyclical, I would say, like as the world turns, it keeps changing on and on, and then there's some man-made things that are doing things to the climate. Is that correct? Uh, kind of, sort of, no, and and yes. Yes, we're, we want to make our... We're, we're improving. <laughs> kind of, sort of, no. <laughs> kind of, sort of, no. You're... I love it. <laughs> the, the environments, the our our environment is getting cleaner every year. Our air and our water, 
are cleaner today than they've been in longer than in 100 years, and they're getting better every year. You can just go to the EPA to find that out and, and just, just okay. Google EPA and pollution. We're, we're cleaning our environment and getting better. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, 254654, do you have a question for Mr. Whitestone? Um, do you think we're due for a good earthquake in California? Excellent question. Yes. Next question. <laughs> but I'm not going to say when. If anybody tells you when. Anytime you know, soon. Um, Just kidding. Uh, do, is soon geologically or soon in the, on the calendar event? It's going to happen, yes. Yes, and I think but, it's sooner than later. But what do you think? I don't know. Those are things that we can't. Those are these are random events that occur periodically. That um, that they're, they're, it's really no one's been able to predict uh, these things with any certainty. And I'm, I'm not about to start. And it's not my specialty. So I I like to stick in my wheelhouse that I know a lot about. Um, but earthquakes are, are not one of those things. And the experts will tell you they don't know. So. Uh, but it will occur for sure. Uh, is it next year or in 20 years? I don't know. So, do you have another comment or question, caller six five four? Oh, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna ask about the Antarctica. Is it from what I've heard? Is still the ice is still melting, and that's why the oh, sea level is good quite. No, no, good question. Good yes, question, yeah. Yeah, the, the ice is still melting in western Antarctica, it, not mm. by very much. Uh, the only part of, what, of Antarctica that happens to be slightly warming is west Antarctica, which comprises a little bit less than 10% of the continent. The rest of the continent is either stable or increasing ice growth. And the reason the west Antarctica has slight warming is because it's located complete is situated over what's called the West Antarctica Rift Zone. It's 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 a geologic rift zone. Uh, it's it's has some of the, the it has the largest number of active volcanoes uh, per square mile uh, of anywhere in the Earth. And so these things are under the ice. The ice and the warming is not coming from atmospheric warming like you would expect from global warming, CO2-driven global warming, but rather it's from underneath the ice from actual geologic forces. So it has nothing to do with CO2-driven warming at all. Um, and it's, it's a stunning relationship between those. So uh, the rest of, Antar- rest of Antarctica, the bulk of Antarctica is at about 30 degrees Celsius below zero. All right, and I'm, I'm not sure what that is. I don't have calculated. It, it's probably somewhere around 50 or 60 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Well, you you can't. All right, so what if it warms up another two degrees, and now it's 48 degrees below zero? It's still not going to melt any ice. But what we do have, and what we what they report, are these ice shelves uh, that move off of of Antarctica, and they sometimes break off. These are ice flows that go off, and it has absolutely no effect on sea level rise. And that's been the reason is because the ice shelves are floating on water, just like the northern polar ice cap. 
uh, it's floating on water. You can melt the entire polar ice cap and it would have scarcely any effect at all on sea level rise. And you can do that experiment at home tonight. Get a pitcher of water and put some ice cubes in it. Mark the ice, mark the water level, and when the ice cubes melt, the water level re, will remain the same. And that's the same fact with the northern polar ice cap and the Antarctic ice shelves. So when you're being told these lies of of this uh, ice shelf that broke off the size of Rhode Island and we're all going to die because sea level, <laughs> it's just it's false. It's misinformation. It's <laughs> fear-mongering, and, and lies. A, a nice shelf floating on water will not rise, will not increase sea level. Not, not, not one millimeter, not half a millimeter, not a tenth of a millimeter. So I, I have a couple questions. What is a clock cycle? What's a solar cycle, and what's the main clock cycle? You say a clock cycle? No, clock, clock. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. I, you, you've researched, you've out researched me. <laughs> I'm not sure what a clock cycle is. Just basically, according to the information I got, is the, the, the when the, there's solar activities, there's a certain main clock cycle that actually creates these sunspots out there. Oh, yeah, you're. I'm I'm not a big proponent. I'm not. I've not researched a lot on on so sun cycles at all. Oh, okay. So I mean I. That's that's not my forte. It, okay. It, okay. I know you wanted to talk about that, but I that's just not one of my strengths, and and one of one of my, and I I don't like to talk about what I, I I'm not proficient. No, that's fine. That's fine. The the reason, because a lot one one of the things that really got me very, very interested in this whole process, and especially when I saw that I wanted you to be a, a guest on our show, is these geomatic storms. The one I mentioned earlier occurred in, 19, in 1859. The next one occurred February 11, 1958, and basically the storm caused radio blackouts throughout the whole United States in 1960, 1961, and it was due to a lot of these solar cycles and sunspots and yep. solar opposites. Well, whenever we have these big geologic flares, it, it's going to – we haven't had one, like you say. I'm, I, I'm, I'm no expert on it. I don't really know. But I know, I, I know enough to know that when the next one occurs, a big one, it could be, play real havoc with, with our uh, – Okay. With, with what we're doing. It's, and I, but I, I, that's all I know. I, I'm not – no problem, no problem. I, I, I might, I might have always did it. I mean, <laughs> I I'm put not, more. I, I really hate. I don't like to talk about what I, uh, what I, yeah. what I'm not an expert in. So let's 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 talk about the again going getting back to the the Paris Accord, the carbon tax. Mm -hmm. Okay, for nine oh eight four three three. I know you just came in, but we're going to talk about the uh, carbon tax and how. A certain party, political party, tends to use the carbon tax, saying that the CO2 that we breathe is the cause. And I know you mentioned, you spoke about it initially, but this global carbon tax that the United Nations has been pushing for a long time is part of this whole thing with the Paris Accord and the climate change. We're going to get po politi politically now. Okay. 
So the Paris Climate Accord has just been dealt a devastating blow by China. They've just released their their uh, uh, production numbers for 2021 of, of uh, uh, CO2 emissions, and it's just their their CO2 emissions for 21 have just exploded uh, from 2019. 2020 was an aberration. Let's forget about that because of the COVID-induced thing. But if we compare in 2019 to 2021, they're they're ramping up their CO2 emissions because they're building more and more and more and more uh, coal-fired plants and just thumbing. They're the number one uh, carbon dioxide emitter in the world. And I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay because I love CO2. CO2 is, doing, is having a huge beneficial effect on vegetation and crop growth across the United States, and it's not driving catastrophic warming. There is no climate crisis. There is no climate emergency. And so, but, but what, what this has done with climate, with, with China and India in particular, mm-hmm. has raised their, their middle finger to, to Paris and said, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, we just brought, for the CO2 coalition, I just brought on a talented writer, Vijay Jayaraj, uh, from India that writes about climate change. And and he, he talks about, he's got a, a, uh, an article, an op-ed that I'll, I'll be having published tomorrow. Uh, okay. Look at it at the CO2Coalition.org. But it's about how India views the Paris Climate Accord. And they, they're saying, no, we're not going to reduce our emissions because uh, you're viewing everybody, all the countries, with their emissions by country. What you need to do, India's, and it's a great perspective. They're saying we need to. We're looking at it as CO2 emissions per capita per person. Well, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's a great thing. India's going. We're, you know, uh, U.S. is is emitting 16.1, uh, whatever it is, megawatts, whatever it is, per uh, person. We're doing 1.2, so uh, we're going to catch up to you. And when we catch up to you, we'll talk about it slowing down our emissions. <laughs> and we're going to keep building coal-fired plants. We're going to keep building uh, gas-fired plants. And the heck with you guys, because Prime Minister Modi wants to elevate his people and bring them out of uh, mm-hmm. yep. 1.2 billion people out of generational poverty, and he's going to do it by providing abundant, affordable, reliable energy based yep. on coal-fired production. And well, I can, God bless him. I can attest to China because I, I was in, I visited five cities in China, and those coal plants are all over. The pollution is so bad that basically you have to wear a mask, otherwise you can't breathe. All throughout mainland China. But uh, 908-433, do you have a question? Or By the way, Candace Owens just endorsed Gregory Rystone's book, Inconvenient Facts. For anyone out there that is interested in, in purchasing the book. So, a uh, question, 908? Uh, no, I just came on, so I'm kind of just catching okay, the end. But thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I was late. So, all right, 254, do you have a question for Mr. Rysong? 
what did you think about Texas when it was froze over for a while? Oh, Texas, that's a great case study. They were four to five minutes away from a complete meltdown. And, and if it had actually, if they hadn't pulled the plug four or five minutes away from actually complete destruction of their network of the electricity grid, and that meant that they would have been out of electric for, from what I, I hear, three to four weeks in the middle of winter, in the dead of winter. Uh, they had 900 to 1,200 deaths associated with it as it was, uh, but it would have probably been tens of thousands of deaths uh, due to this. And once you once you lose your electricity grid, think about that. You can't uh, you, you can't get gasoline from the pumps. The pumps of your gasoline station are powered by electricity. Um, think about all those things that go, go that go bad. And and what we learned too, uh, Texas. If you look at how much electricity from wind and solar renewables. What's the maximum amount you can get before you really get into problems? And it's probably about 20% of your of your uh, electricity capacity. If once you get to 20% and above, you're looking at really compromising your, the integrity of your of the grid system. Um, and because we can we can roll with with up to 20% to make up for yeah. that. Because you, you obviously solar only works. Gregory, before before we go, I got to get this in. Uh, President Biden said that by 2030 he wants zero fossil fuels. He wants electrical cars on the road. Okay. What's your take? Um, we got a, we got less than a minute. We got less than a minute. Right. I've got a, I've got an op-ed coming out soon. Very very dangerous. What happens? These electrical EVs spontaneously combust. No, they do. <laughs> We know that they spontaneous. What is going to happen? It will occur. What happens when an EV spontaneously combusts in a parking garage under a, under an office building or a residential complex? What's, how are you going to put it out? You can't. The only way they, put, they, they allow these things is to just let them burn. How does that affect? It's dangerous. It should cause people to lie awake at night scared because of the dangers of these electric vehicles. Uh, right. There have been two Bavarian towns that have banned uh, electric vehicles from under from parking in garages, and it's going to be continued. It, when it occurs, it's going to be horrific. Fantastic. Last, uh, your, the name of the book and the website. Inconvenient Facts. Inconvenientfacts.xyz. Oh. Definitely. Thank you again. you got to come back. There's so much more to cover. Thank you. All right. Have a good evening. That was Gregory Wrightstone, geologist, executive director of CO2 Coalition in Arlington, Virginia, and the best-selling author of Inconvenience. Next week, we'll have another fantastic guest. Thank you, and God bless, and we'll see each other next week. Good night, folks.